God, I trust that's really a prayer of our heart, not just simply words on a screen or something we sing, but we really do want to be people who grow deeper. And so I trust that it's not just, again, something for the moment, but it's an expression of what we want. We've given you our praise and worship. We've laid our tithes and offerings at your feet. And now we give you our attention. And I trust you will speak to us as we unpack your word and explore one of the most powerful sections of this entire series in what you say to us today. Help us to hear very clearly what you want us to hear, not only as a church, but as individuals. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Dave. That's a great song. I think we're going to start that week, that way next week, right? Good morning. Wow, you're all here. Somebody tell you I wasn't preaching? Good to have you back. We had a full house in the first service, so thank you for being here this morning. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully. Every insert is important or it wouldn't be there. One of the things that is unique about my position is I get thanks a lot for what you all do. And so this week, Angela from Life Choices came and uh, on Thursday or Friday before their banquet gave us this that says an appreciation to Community Alliance Church for raising over $100,000 in change for life. You know the baby bottle thing we do uh, in, in these years? So she gave it to me, and I said, Angie, it's these folks. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you on their behalf. She said it's just incredible what that is able to do. They're continuing to open more clinics, which means more lives will be saved. So thank you for doing that. A number of years ago, I said to you last Sunday morning, when God blessed us with this facility, we said we want to bless our community. And so pretty much every week, somebody in our community is using our facilities. This week, in a way it's never been used before, we had probably four or 500 police officers from Pennsylvania State Police and Pittsburgh Police who came and did some uh, activity, some training, and all the things that were necessary. Uh, literally, that's just one day's worth of those guys. And the next day, a whole nother group came. Two of the things that kept coming out of that is some of the nicest police officers you'll ever meet, and they don't always get that encouragement. And so we wanted to encourage them and let them know how much we appreciate them and how much we're praying for them. There are a lot of them that are targeted every single week when you open a paper, read the news. So really pray for those who protect us, that uh, God will just continue to bless them. But unbelievably nice, incredibly gracious, and it was just a real opportunity to serve them. And this was my favorite part. <laughs> and that really is a real horse. I mean, 2,100-pound Percheron, and uh, they let me have that opportunity, so it was just a lot of fun. So there's a ton of people that serve behind the scenes of that. You hear me mention that even in the context of the message. So thank you for doing that. And they just wanted on, um, thank you. The major in charge of all of the barracks in all of Western PA just wanted to say, tell your people thank you uh, so very much for serving us so incredibly well. How many of you remember your first love? Two of you? <laughs> remember your first love? Oh, well, I don't know. Whenever I say first love, some of you think, okay, does that mean when I really fell in love, when I fell in love with my mate, or just first love? When I say first love, what comes to your mind? For some of us, like me, it was in grade school. Others, it may have not been to elementary school or high school or maybe college. For me, it was grade school. Fourth grade, I know you're shocked by that. Janice moved in from some other area, 
And I, I thought I was in love. That's, I am so old that I really did have a four-room grade school. I didn't even have kindergarten. We just went right to first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. All of them were in that one little building. And I was in love. Now, as the life of time would go on, I certainly fell in love a lot more opportunities than that. And when I say first love, there's a lot of things that run through your mind. First kiss, first date, first crush. Any of you marry your first love? I'm just curious. A couple did in the first service. Anybody, you married your first love? Anybody else? Married your first love. Yeah, all right. I'm sure when you think of first love, you think young, carefree, time without a lot of responsibilities. And then, of course, there's that marriage. And when you think about marriage, you've got to think these things. Life was exhilarating when we got married. Love was exhilarating. Life was exciting. That sense of adventure that was incredible. Now, for some of you still married, you still feel that way, right? Say yes. <laughs> but some don't. A lot of busyness, schedules, demands, and responsibilities get in the way of all the fun and the excitement. And sadly enough, in some cases, a whole lot of life gets in the way of really living. This morning, we're going to meet a church that had a first love and then lost it. They somehow allowed activity to get in the way of relationship. Probably one of the most famous churches in the entire book of Revelation, the church at Ephesus, who lost their first love. You have sermon notes in your bulletin, take them out. Sermon notes for me, they're literally, when I do them, a lot of people do bullet points, and that's, that's awesome. When I do them, I literally go through the sermon, and then I highlight a number of phrases. So if you're wondering why they're laid out the way they are, it gives you an opportunity to be able to walk home with it and say, okay, I have a context of the entire message in this sermon note. So that's why they're laid out the way they do. Revelation chapter 2. Last week, we saw in chapter 1 this unbelievable vision of God. This incredible vision of Jesus that was revealed to a guy near the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, 80, probably 90 years old, sitting on an island, not knowing if he'd ever get off, and all of a sudden, in the middle of a worship experience, Jesus showed up. You want that. You want, in the middle of your worship experience, for Jesus to show up. We're hoping he does every Sunday. And John, like anybody else who would have that kind of experience, all he wanted to do was to fall down and worship. He says it in chapter 1, verse 17, all the way to chapter 28. When I really got this unbelievable, incredible, powerful, majestic vision of God, I just want to fall flat out down and worship. A couple of Sundays from now, we're going to be in chapter 4 and 5. And in that whole context, you want to sing the great I am over and over and over again. You just want to spend time in front of the presence of God with God. Now, you know as well as I do, you don't need this experience to do that. I hope you have those moments in your life on a regular basis where you just spend some time with God. But when you do, you really do want to do like John. I just want to fall down and worship. I want to just be here for a while. I want to spend some time listening to his voice. I, I want to spend some time just being aware of his presence. When we celebrate communion at the end of messages every so often, we give you that reflective time. And Jesus said, I, I just want you to remember me. And a hundred times, I'm sure I've said it to you before, how could we forget? When I realized what you did for me on the cross, when I realized what that Easter weekend was like for you, when I realized how difficult, how painful to be betrayed and beaten and put on a cross and laid in a tomb, how 
could I ever forget? But he somehow knew that life would get in the way, and we would. And so he said, every time you do this, remember me. And John just wanted to be in the presence of Almighty God. He just wanted to spend some time in worship. Almost wanted to jump right into chapter 4 and 5. But instead of doing that, Jesus said, I want you to hear some things that I need to say. And he talks about the church. And to me, it's a unique reminder of how much Jesus loves the church. I get irritated every once in a while when people beat up the church in an email or they feel like they've got the answer to what the church itself is doing or not doing. And I'm always reminded that it's called the bride of Christ. And so I've said to you before, you can say anything about me, but don't say anything about my bride. And Jesus comes right at saying, look, I want you to know how much I care for the church. John, I want you to get up. I got some things to say. I don't want you to worship me right now. I, I want to talk to the church. He's interested, not just the church universal, but churches. And not just great ones, but every church. When Jesus was here on earth, he was concerned for everyone from all walks of life. People felt comfortable around him. You knew he genuinely cared. Regardless of what you brought to the table, he knew you were welcome. And you knew you were welcome. And one of the things that I see about this is that Jesus continues to carry out that as he addresses the churches. They're not perfect at all. They're like walking into somebody's house when they don't know you're coming. Things aren't all picked up. House looks lived in. You come to my house, you will notice it looks lived in. You know why? Because we live in it. You ever go to somebody's house and you wonder, does anybody live here? I mean, it's perfect. I'm sure a lot of your houses are like that. Absolutely perfect. If I walked in, it would be like it was just built and decorated, right? No. You want a house that looks lived in. These churches are lived in. They're messy. I often hear throughout the years of my ministry, I hear this phrase over and over again, why can't we be more like the New Testament church? And I want to say to them, really, which one? Because they're all messy. None of them are perfect. Not any church is perfect. Eugene Peterson said, look, there's no evidence at all in Scripture or even in time that churches were any better or any worse than they are today. You take a random selection of churches at any time through history, and you'll see some of the same issues that John is writing about here. Now, if you find that perfect church, awesome. Attend it. Let me know where it's at. John says, look, there are some things that the church needs to hear, and what I love about Jesus is the way he addresses it. So in Revelation chapter 2, if you've got a Bible or an iPad or on the screen, whatever that may be, listen to these words. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These words are from him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, which is the church. I know your deeds. You work hard. I know your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you, if you don't repent, I'll come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitan, and so do I. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the church. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. There are two things that I notice about this right up front. When you, any of you have perfect kids? 
because it won't mean anything to you if, I, if you all have perfect kids. But for those of you who don't, I got to believe that everyone, <laughs> that was great. You're raising your mother's hand. That was good. <laughs> awesome. For any of you who have kids that aren't perfect, I got to believe that every once in a while, maybe once a year, you got to correct them, right? Maybe twice a year, you've got to correct them. I've seen this over and over again. This fits to a parent. This fits to a leader. This fits to a church leader. This fits to a boss. This fits everywhere. When you have to address those issues, I always say you ought to use the Jesus model. And the Jesus model is this. Instead of jumping right into the problem, he deals with the positive qualities first. And then he deals with the issue. Incredible lesson on leadership wonderful model of parenting and developing relationship. He begins with affirmation, then moves in your sermon notes to correction, and ends with a promise. Now, I got to believe that however dysfunctional that child may seem to be, and how you wonder if they're ever going to get it, they probably have one or two good qualities, right? And I got to believe no matter how much that mate of yours irritates the daylights out of you, they have to have at least one good thing going for them, right? And no matter how lazy or incompetent your employees may seem to you because you're the boss and you're perfect, i got to believe that there are some things in them that you can say, look, I love the way you, I, I've noticed the way you, I, I've seen how good, whatever that may be. This is an incredible, man, if I could spend all day on this in a lesson on leadership, it would be the most valuable thing you could take away from these first few sentences of this message. Got to believe they're there. Sometimes you got to dig deep to find them. But start that way. It makes the conversation go so much better. Start with a positive. What do I see in you? I see these things in you. I got to believe that whole, you never isn't true. You always isn't true. So start with a positive. And then deal with the issue. And then move to a promise. You know I'm just telling you if, you, if you do this, can you imagine what's going to happen? And, and I love the fact that he does this so often over and over again. Look, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. You've persevered. You've endured hardships. You've not grown weary. The second thing, although in your sermon notes I said one of the first things, the second thing out of this is the fact that Jesus knows. Now, for some, that's a scary thing. For me, it's a great thing. He knows what you're doing. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. Every once in a while, we think that our efforts don't matter. No one notices and no one really cares. And what I love about this section of Scripture is that Jesus walks into your life and says, well, I know. Even if no one else sees, no one else knows, no one else cares. You need to know I do. And I see it. Even in those out of the way, nobody sees the kind of ministry that you do, he does. When you come in on Sunday morning, you see me. You see all of them on the stage. You, you see what goes on. You see who leads the classes and who's involved in all of those ministries. But you know as well as I do, there is no way on the planet we could ever do what we do without a hundred other people who are involved. Those guys that sit back in the dark every single Sunday morning, there's no way we could do what we do without them sitting back there. This week I heard from these officers over and over again, your people are incredible. They're serving sandwiches. They're taking garbage bags out and filling it up with another garbage bag. They're just cleaning. 
over and over again. I just need you to, I need to be reminded because I want to make sure that everybody sees I have this huge need for affirmation. You know that, I know that. And every once in a while, even in those hidden kind of things that no one else notices that I think, I hope somebody saw this. Jesus comes quietly speaking to me saying, I see it. I, I know, I know. And every once in a while, those of us who are in those out of the way, out of the eye, thinking no one else knows, no one else sees, no one else really cares, Jesus walks into you and walks into your life and walks into the setting saying, I knew, I see, I care, I notice. Even if you never get an accolade, never get a promotion, never get a plaque, no one ever remembers your name, I just need you to know, Jesus said, I know. So just keep on going. Ephesus was a great church, incredible impact on our community. In Acts 19, Paul comes into this city. It's well known had incredible temples. One of them were the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Had an amphitheater that seated 45,000 people. Paul comes into the city and begins to preach. He goes to their synagogue in Acts 19, verse 8. He spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. Any of you came to Christ in the 60s? Do you all remember Ken Taylor's Bible? It kind of took the living Bible, and he called it what? The way. Okay, I, I grew up in the 60s anyhow. So maybe you don't remember. That's where he got that phrase. That's where they got that word. So Paul left them. He took the disciples and they went to other places. They went on for three, two years. So that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the providence of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God was doing extraordinary things through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs and apron that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. That's a good ministry day. When you can lay your handkerchief on somebody after preaching and they're healed, that's a pretty good day. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living there, they were seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number of them practiced sorcery, and they brought those sorcery items to, together, and they burned them. They calculated the value, and this way, verse 20, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The city of Ephesus was turned upside down by the gospel. Christians didn't have to picket wicked businesses to get them to shut down. The people who ran the businesses came to faith in Christ, and they shut it down. Churches, evangelical churches and many churches alike, at times are not known for what they stand for. They're known for what they're against. And there are a lot of things that we shouldn't tolerate at all. Totally get that. Don Bubna, a friend of mine, tells a story about his brother Paul. And Paul, obviously, I've known he was a, a missionary, a pastor, president of the CNMA. His friend, friend, son Joel and I have been best friends for 35 years. And while he was pastoring in New Jersey, there was a, an abortion clinic that was being picketed by a number of church people. He said, does anybody ever talk to the guy doing the abortions? And, of course, no one had. Now, I... Abortion is an abomination in the sight of God, so please understand it from that context. Paul got to know the abortionist, eventually led him to Christ, and the abortionist shut down the clinic and quit doing abortions. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good way to go. Instead of putting down, instead of share Jesus, show them Jesus. Whatever it is that we should be against and are 
dozen of things like that, we ought to, in the middle of all of that, show them Jesus. Because that's what they're missing. I don't care if Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever you go doesn't celebrate or say Merry Christmas. I don't care. Some of you do, and that's fine. What I care about is Christians who don't live like Christians. I don't care that they don't live like Christians. There are so many opportunities for you and I just to live our faith and to share our faith and to love people who are turning away from all of that into the kingdom and let them see the Jesus that we know and we love and we know that can change their life forever. Now that transformation in Paul's case put him at odds with the city and the community, but the church stayed strong. They maintained doctrinal purity. They dealt with tough issues. They stayed the course. They dealt with persecution. They didn't give up, but somewhere along the way, something happened. He said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, you forgot why you were doing this to begin with. You kind of forgot your first love. Somewhere along the way, they traded their passion and concern for Christ and concern for other people for activity. In your sermon notes, they somewhere along the way traded relationships for religion. They got so busy serving God, they forgot to continue knowing God. And I couldn't emphasize that enough. They got so busy serving God, they didn't continue knowing God. They got so busy doing, they forgot about being. Our spiritual formation is developed about developing the inner being. The Beatitudes in your sermon notes, they're all about attitude, not activity. They're all about being my inner man, my inner person, my relationship with Christ is about developing the inner being. And out of that inner being, when I fall head over heels in love with Jesus, when I recognize what he's done for me, when I love to worship and adore him, when I love to stay connected with him and I'm growing by, my, by leaps and bounds in him day by day or moment by moment or little by little or large steps at a time, out of that comes doing. I just want to serve. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to serve to get his attention. I'm not serving so that he likes what I'm doing or likes who I am. I'm serving because it just comes natural. It comes out of the sense of being inside. See, a lot of times our spiritual life is doing a lot of spiritual activity. Good activity. The problem arises when we end up focusing on the activity and lose our passion and to deepen our relationship with Jesus. I know churches that say you have to do three things. You have to worship, you have to serve, and you have to be in community. And a lot of people that serve don't come to a worship experience. It's not about hearing me. It's about that opportunity to collectively be together with the family of God and give Him praise and adoration. Nothing wrong with activity or serving at all. But when it somehow replaces our passion and love for Jesus, something goes wrong. Somewhere along the way, over time, maybe little by little, that subtle change between my service to God and my love for God. And I've gotten them in the wrong order. I need to remember that on a regular basis. Their activities were many and varied. They served Christ well, but somewhere along the way, they lost their passion for Jesus. The church at Ephesus maintained doctrinal purity, but they lost spiritual intimacy. Do you ever meet someone who knows the Bible and doesn't seem to like people? <laughs> I mean, they can quote the verses. 
but they never seem to live it. They know the Bible. They may have grown up in church. They know all kinds of spiritual stories and biblical stories, but they never seem to see it make any difference in their life. They're nasty and not nice to be around. They know the Bible, been to church all their life, but seem miserable. And you wonder, how can that be? Remember when you fell in love to the one you're married to? You met him, you fell head over heels in love, couldn't wait to get married, everything was wonderful, you were passionate, you wanted to be together all the time, you couldn't wait to come home from work so that you could talk and share. But then came the bills and responsibilities and kids and more bills and the demands of the kids and more bills, then the promotion for the new job to pay the bills. You see a trend? Life got in the way of living. Activities seem to take precedent over love, and subtly, every once in a while, we get disconnected from the mate that we said we would be passionately in love with for the rest of our lives. We stood before a pastor and said we would. If we're in love, and I ask him, you want to get married? Absolutely. Why? We're in love. We can't get enough of each other. We want to spend the rest of our lives together. I mean, they don't come into my office saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> Couldn't find anybody else. So I'm going to marry him. <laughs> Got to believe there are some better ones out there, but he asked me, and I said, sure. <laughs> I mean, who does that? They come into my office, and I'm telling you, it's one of the most enjoyable things in my life. They come into my office, and you know all the issues and all the problems. They don't see a one. He's perfect. I'm going, seriously? I've watched him grow up. But man, they're in love. And they're going to be in love till Jesus comes back or separates them in death. And then sadly, some stuff got in the way and busyness and activities and the kids and all this kind of stuff. And subtly and sometimes noticeably, busyness and activities replace passion and intimacy. This message not only speaks to churches, it speaks to married couples. Every so often, you need to remember why you got married to begin with. Connie and I got married at 19. We decided at a very early age, we're going to spend a lot of time putting it as much as we can into that relationship and build in getaway times with one another away from kids and ministry and responsibility just to reconnect. We're going to do it again in a couple of weeks. Some of them were so inexpensive at the beginning, if you would have looked at it from the outside, you said, man, that's cheap. Because we had no money. But man, we made sure that we spent time together and built into that relationship. My kids knew that she was more important than them. And my church knew that she was more important than them. As much as I love the church and much as I love the people God's given me the opportunity to minister with. Sadly, along the way, sometimes responsibility and kids and other things get in the way of the relationship that we promised we would be just as in much in love with. And you can define love in a hundred ways. I get that. You may not have that tingly feeling that you first did when you got married, and I understand that, but I'm telling you, it doesn't have to diminish just because of time. In our relationship with God, we need to make sure that we stay connected with Him on a regular basis. That's why Sunday is important. Spiritual retreat, solitude, Scripture reading, whatever. So many ways that we can stay connected to God. Well, we just got busy. We just, 
we're just going to, we're going to be busy this summer. We'll be back in the fall, but you're, you're going to stay disconnected. You're going to get disconnected, and you're going to have a hard time getting reconnected. We can't get involved in a lot of different ministries even and, and do it all at the expense of a deep, intimate relationship with the one that we're serving. Sometimes it takes a gentle reminder. Sometimes it takes a lot more than that. Sometimes we need to be reminded that what we promised and what we said we would do, we're not. And we need to get to where we were before. Sometimes it takes a nudge. Sometimes it takes a real push. But if that reminder, be it in our relationship with Jesus, or our relationship with our mate, if that reminder is left ignored, you can become hard and the love will die. Whether you need a general reminder or a hard push in your sermon notes, the way back to remember and repent. Remember? Remember what it was like when you first fell in love with Jesus? Remember you couldn't get enough of his word? You couldn't get enough of him? You wanted to spend time in praise and adoration and everything in your life began to change little by little, sometimes in pretty big ways. Remember that? You need, you need to get back to that. Remember what it was like when you looked at that mate in the eye and, man, you just, oh, wow. I'm so in love. I said to a group the other night, you want to build an affair-proof marriage? You treat her or him so well, they will know there's nobody on this planet that will treat you better than me. Nobody. Remember and repent. I'm sorry. I let too many things get in the way. I let too much stuff get in the way. And I'm sorry. I got so caught up in activities and promotions and accolades and achievements that I forgot about the relationship with you or with you. In verse 7, he says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. You know what that means? If the shoe fits, wear it. If he's talking to you, if you are as in love with Jesus even more so than you were when you began your journey, just say, thank you, Jesus. This is unbelievable. If you're even more in love with your mate than you were at the beginning, say, thank you, Jesus. I, I, nobody could have ever told me it would still be this amazing. But if you needed that reminder, either with your mate or with him, then you need to make some changes. You need to allow God's Spirit to rekindle the flame. You need to light that fire or put some air in it so it begins to burn again. In almost every case, he ends with a promise. To him who overcomes and gets to the other side, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. We ignore it and we end up like Laodicea and Sardis. No life at all and no relationship. I said at the beginning, it's fascinating that of all the things that Jesus told us in this upper room experience and then Paul reiterates in 1 Corinthians, this is my body. The world's going to tell you get life and all that other stuff and achievements, and accolades, and awards, and promotions. You're going to think that, and they'll certainly tell you that. I just want you to know, life comes from me. So here I offer it to you. I literally offer you my life. I offer you forgiveness. I'm going to shed my blood, no longer sacrifices. I'm giving mine. And when you come to me and ask for forgiveness, I'll forgive. As far as the east is from the west, never to be reminded any longer. Here I am. 
He said, you ought to examine yourself before you do this, this physical experience of being able to be connected with Jesus and take the bread and the cup. You ought to look inside to make sure that everything is clear and the channel is open. So, so often on a Sunday morning when we share communion, we have that built into the message. And this message is pretty clear and very obvious. There's some things that I need to talk to Jesus about, and after the service, there's some pretty serious conversations I need to have with my mate. And so we're going to give you the opportunity to spend some time with Jesus in just these next few moments. When the communion stewards come, they're going to give you the elements. The tray has everything in one tray. If you've not been here before, it's got the bread in the middle and the cups around the edge. Help the person beside you wait till everyone is served, and then we'll come back, and I'll come back up here, and I'll lead you in taking of it. And I just ask you, look inside. God, is there some things that gotten in the way, all kinds of activities and busyness that's gotten in the way of our relationship? I don't want that. So I want to talk to you about that. He will talk to you if you open up. Dave's going to sing a verse or two of my Jesus, I love you at some point and uh, lead us in that. If you're not ready to sing, just spend some time with him. Father, we thank you for these incredible reminders and then you say remember you how could we forget but you knew we would and so for some of us here this morning we've got to rekindle or remember whatever that may be would you do that during this time together and ask the communion stores to come and after they serve you you wait and then I'll lead you together
Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My grace. Savior, art thou? If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis realize what I was seeing there this morning, I always want to give those who serve of all days today the chain, same chance to sit and reflect that you and I've had while they've served. If you want to ever serve so often, you forget who you're serving, which is what this is all about. Took the bread and then the cup. He said, this is everything I have to give to you, and I offer it to you freely without any string. It's yours share it together and rejoice. Father, words are inadequate, obviously, at every point of life in our relationship with you, but certainly on days like this, so thank you. For those who have rekindled or have been reminded of some things in their life they need to address, I 
pray that you'll give them the courage to address it and I'll just simply be aware of it and begin to change. For conversations that mates need to have today, please don't let them ignore it or start tomorrow without having had it. Thank you again for your grace and your incredible word that allows us to see where we need to change and then gives us the resources in which to change. Bless us as we go, as we follow after you, deepen our walk with you until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name I pray. Have a great, great day. Thank you for your kind attention. If I can pray for you in any way, love to do that. Next Sunday morning, we'll be right back in here. It's called an open book.